night There was no way I could make my wrongs right Then that old accuser to the Lord did cry He is a sinner and now he must die And it's still the blood that saves from sin It's still the blood that cleanses within From the highest star in heaven To the depths of the sea It is still the blood of Jesus That brings victory to me There are those who rely on the works that they do And some men count on the times they pray through But when the battle's over and my last song is sung I'll go home through the blood of my Father's precious Son still the, the blood that saves from sin is still the blood that cleanses within from the highest star in heaven to the depths of the sea it is still the blood of Jesus that brings victory to me and it's still the blood that saves from sin It's still the blood that cleanses within From the highest star in heaven To the depths of the sea It is still the blood of Jesus That brings victory to me We're certainly glad and grateful for the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I'll tell you what, if we didn't have that blood, if it hadn't been shed and it hadn't been applied to our life, we'd still be lost in our sin and of no value or use to the God that created us. But thank God that we are saved and we can now honor and glorify Him and serve Him. We're certainly grateful for that privilege, aren't we? Well, tonight we're continuing with our study and we're in the book of 1 Timothy. So take your Bible, turn over there to the 1 Timothy chapter 2. Again, we're excited about the new members class. I know a number of them are getting some positive uh, encouragement there and help and instruction. And tonight, I think we're talking about uh, the fundamentals of the faith back there tonight, I think is what they're just discussing. And that's good. And uh, next week, I think, um, I think Brother Josh will be teaching the class. And then the following week, I'll teach the class. And uh, I'll finish it out and be talking about all the fancy finances of the church and all that fun stuff, right? fancy. You like that? It's not very fancy at all, really. It's pretty basic. Either you got it or you don't, right? If you don't have it, you don't spend it. If you got it, you spend it. But uh, anyway, we'll see. We'll talk a little bit about that back there. We'll talk about the church and its history and where we're going and things like that next two weeks from now. And, and so anyway, a lot of good things in our new members class. And we're excited about those that are in it. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're just going to read through the first three verses of this particular chapter. And then we're going to continue um, in our series. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, 
intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. That's as far as we're going to get tonight. Real simple, but we'll kind of break that down a little bit. We know in our introduction, of course, we've talked a number of times about the fact that Timothy was brought up with a mother that was saved, a father that was a Gentile, and we know that ultimately he uh, was uh, brought into the presence and under the influence of the Apostle Paul. He'd go on to be a tremendous co-laborer in the work of God with the Apostle Paul. Matter of fact, he's often called the son, his son in the faith. And so there's a unique relationship that began there. There's a unique relationship that continued there. And so uh, we see that Timothy is blessed in that regard, that he has a mentor that is going to be extremely, he's extremely intelligent, he's, he's extremely learned, he's traveled, he's uh, obviously been through so many things, and now he's passing down those, those, those beliefs, he's passing down that faith, and he's giving him some instruction and help in the books of First and Second Timothy. And so we're, we're going to, we see that along the way. We said that our uh, book is divided into two major sections. It's divided into, first of all, how to build an effective church. Listen, we need to build churches today. We need effective churches too. Sadly enough today, church planting has slipped quite a bit. And honestly, taking over churches, if you, if you ask me to be quite frank with you, I think most people take churches over so they can get a paycheck. I'm not really convinced today that very many people are sincere about trying to build the kingdom of God. I'm really concerned about that. And, uh, you know, I... I I, I feel this way, and I'm just going to tell you this. I feel that if somebody comes to Community Baptist Temple and can't start a class here and grow it, then they might as well not waste their time going out and starting a church. That's just how I feel. I, I just don't think, I think it's just a waste of time. It's like saying to somebody, you're playing in the minor leagues and you can't even, you can't even hit a home run against a minor league pitcher. You can't get good batting stats against a minor league pitcher, but you're going to go out in the major leagues now and you're going to be a great hitter. It doesn't work that way. Personally, I don't think that a missionary should be on the field unless they're a personal soul winner in their own church. I think that we're, we're, we're kidding ourselves. Kidding ourselves today. We're going to talk about going out and building something, but we haven't even built our own, our own character yet. And I tell you, we need to do something about that. We need to be very careful with that today. And again, sometimes because somebody gets through Bible college and because they just they finish the coursework, we say, well, then they're, they're qualified, they're ready, they've, they've gone through the coursework, they've got this degree that says that they're capable and they're qualified and they're ready to go. Well, last time I checked, on-the-job training is much more important than just getting a degree on a piece of paper. And so anyway, I'm just saying, I'm, not, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know why I'm getting off on that, but obviously it's important that you understand my philosophy because here's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to come through this ministry and then they're going to turn around and they're going to have all the credentials and they're going to look like a million bucks. Their wife's going to look sharp as a tack. And everybody's going to go, man, now that's a good couple. They're the ones who should be on the field. They should be out there preaching the gospel. And yet, we don't see anybody getting saved in their ministry. We don't see their ministry growing at the church where they're at. And then you're wondering, well, why ain't the pastor sending them out with all the honors and all the... And, you'll be, and then I'll be like, well, do I really need to say it? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that they're lazy. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that they don't go out and do the work. I'm not going to tell you that they haven't figured it out yet. You understand? I'm telling you ahead of time, you'll know why things happen. Sometimes people assume that pastors are being mean or nasty. But if a pastor's really got a handle on some things and he, wants, he understands there's a need for some things. Listen, I would never send a young man into the ring to fight Meriwether or Pacquiao without first having fought a number of fights and have some experience under their belt. I wouldn't do it. Man would be unleashing a line on them. They'd get so beat up so bad 
They may never fight another fight in their life. And what we do is we turn young men loose on the ministry. They get out there, they get discouraged, and they get depressed, and they find out we can't, they don't know what they're doing, they feel like they're all alone out there. And next thing you know, they throw the ministry away, their wife, their marriage, and everything else seems to suffer, all because they weren't prepared properly or because they hadn't made the level of commitment that's necessary and needful. I want you to know that Timothy made a commitment. I promise you that the Apostle Paul, listen, you watched what happened with the Apostle Paul with Mark. Remember when Mark and Barnabas and, and Saul, Paul went together, and all of a sudden Mark said he left the ministry and he went back home? Paul says, listen, we're not taking Mark with us this next journey. This second missionary journey, he is not going with us. And Barnabas said, hey, he's my nephew, man. You need kid. I got his sister on my back. I've got to take him. Paul said, fine, you take him, but he's not going with me. Now, it was some 14 or 15 years later. This happens about 18 years from what I understand in the life of the Apostle Paul where that takes place. It's 14 years later, of course. Tim, I, th- I think uh, Mark showed himself to be, at that point, a little more mature. He showed himself to have been a little bit more seasoned. And all of a sudden, Paul says, hey, have him come see me. He's profitable to me. He's profitable for the ministry. Because he saw something in him now. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good business. Someone says, well, Paul's a bad guy because he wouldn't let uh, Mark go with him. No, Paul saw something that he said needs fixed first. And Barnabas said, well, I'll take time to fix him. Paul said, you fix him. I don't have time for that because I've got too much to do right now. I think that's how it went. Now, maybe I'm wrong. You say, well, you're wrong. Well, that's fine. In heaven, we'll figure out who was right. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we need to just train people, right? Timothy was trained. And Timothy was a, a man of God. He was a young man. And as we learn in the passages <clears throat> and in, through history... Timothy was in the midst of a mess there at Ephesus. He's pastoring a church where the wolves were on his back, where there was dissension in the ranks at times, where actually he had to make some decisions. He even had to excommunicate certain people from the ministry because they were sowing seeds of heresy. Boy, he had to take some strong stands, and yet he did it. And he did it as a man. He did it as a pastor. He made sure that things were done God's way. And so as we come to chapter 2 now, we're going to see that and the Apostle Paul begins to share with him some exhortation. He begins to say, all right, now we know the situation you find yourself in. We understand that you're going to have some real battles you're going to have to face. You're going to have to plant your feet firm. You're going to have to be fixed in the ministry and the work of God. You have to have that relationship with Christ that will enable you to keep going in the midst of the highs and the lows. And so now we're ready to go. Gird yourself up, Timothy. Be prepared. Be ready. It's coming. The storm's already hit. You've been in the midst of it all. Now, here's what I want to tell you. I'm going to give you some instruction. And as we talk about trying to build an effective church, let's start at the very beginning. And so in chapter 2, Paul the Apostle begins with something very familiar, a topic very familiar but often neglected, prayer. Begins to address this issue of prayer now. Now, we're going to talk again today. We're going to start with the church and its devotion this week. Uh, again, we've been dealing with the church, of course, but now we're going to talk about its devotion. And we're going to talk about the practice of worship in the church. And prayer, first and foremost, before we, is, is it's, it's worship. It's an act of worship. And sometimes we fail to understand that. And really, it's a, an act of worship that has to take place and has to start early on because so many other acts of worship are predicated upon it. And so we're going to see today, we're going to talk about this fact of telling God about men. Okay, we're going to pray to God now. And he's going to, he, the Apostle Paul is going to tell him what we need to pray, how we need to pray and who we need to pray for and why we need to pray. And so we're going to see that in those first three verses, okay? So let's go ahead and take just a few minutes. We'll have a word of prayer. And then we'll talk a little bit about prayer, okay? 
Father, we come to you. We thank you for the blessed word of God. You don't leave anything up to guesswork for us. And I'm glad about that, Lord. I'm not that smart. I don't know everything. So, Lord, it's nice to be able to just read it out of your word. It's, it's nice to be able to see it in black and white. Then, Lord, to apply it to our lives. We don't have to all come to our own separate conclusions. You have a conclusion where to come to. And it's nice that it's written out, plain, and black and white. Help us now, Lord, to learn about prayer a little bit today. To be encouraged, to be exhorted. Lord, like, the, the, like Timothy... Paul's son in the faith, may we gladly receive what you've given the apostle for us. Father, although we may not be the pastors at Ephesus, we are certainly believers in Christ, and we are in the priesthood, and we need to understand and learn these truths. Help us, Father, to apply these truths to our, our own lives and to our own families. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So, prayer, as we said, first of all, is an act of worship. And uh, we can't underestimate the importance of it. And sadly enough, I'm not so sure that we don't at times. Paul writes, I exhort therefore that first of all, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, again, it's a great privilege to take men or, and women before the Lord. That is a privilege that we have. Not everybody can do that. See, if you're not a child of God, if you haven't been born into the family of God, you can't take people to God in prayer. Now, I know somebody says, well, I've got an unsaved brother, and he prayed, and God answered his prayer. I want to tell you, God didn't answer that prayer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And again, I'm not trying to be mean or nasty, and I'm not trying to be combative or, or, or divisive. I'm just telling you that, listen, one of your children comes to me and asks something of me, provide, gives me a petition. I'm going to tell you right now, if, if uh, Nate, Nate, you come up here and you say, Preacher, I need 10 bucks to go into youth activity. Say, Preacher, I need 10 bucks to go into youth activity. You need 10 bucks to go on a youth activity? Go ask your dad. You hear where I'm going with this? See, his daddy's who he needs to go to, not me. I'm some, my, my children are obviously a little older than him now, but they come to me and ask for things that all they're growing up. But those were my kids. I'm their father. And as their father, I, I'm going to try to do my best to meet their needs. Well, he can come to me. He can say, uh, "He can say, Pastor, I've got a friend that needs ten dollars for the youth activity." I'd be like, "Go to your dad." <laughs> See, I'm not your father. Okay, now listen. When it comes to prayer, guess what? Uh, you got to go to your father. And the Bible says that there's only two fathers really in the world. There's either the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're saved, God the Father, or there's the Father or the God of this world, Satan. So before you become a child of God and God becomes your father, guess who your father is? Therefore, when you really pray, you're going to him in that regard. Or he really could care less about you anyway. But the fact is, is that God answers the prayer of his children. God knows those that are his, he says. Now, again, I'm not saying he doesn't answer the prayers of, of, of repentance and salvation and all that. I understand that. But see, for me to go to God in prayer... I've got to have a doorway. I've got to have an access. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I have to go through Christ. And if I don't have Christ in my life, I don't have that advocate. So, thank you. Have a seat and go see your dad about that. <clears throat> Matter of fact, ask him if I can get 10 bucks. But anyway. <laughs> so, so we see here that prayer, it's a privilege to be able to take men and women to God. That's a privilege. If you're a child of God today, you can do that. Not everybody can. It's a privilege. So the apostle now, he goes on to kind of uh, share a list of different types of prayer, if you will. And, and in the list, he starts off with supplications. 
He mentions this word supplications. Supplications involves a request or a petition. Now, again, supplications are petitions that have our personal needs in view. Personal needs. Now, you've got to understand in that day, there was a number of personal needs. And primarily, when we look at this, what Paul had in mind were those needs that are resulted out of the policies of government in that day. You've got to remember who's in charge of the government in those days. In Paul's day, Nero governed the empire. Nero was not a kind fellow toward Christianity. He wasn't a good guy. He was a very wicked ruler, a very selfish ruler. Everything was about him. And let me tell you something. If you were a Christian in that day, it was not an easy life. It was a very difficult life. And you had a number of personal needs that had to be met. I mean just safety needs. And God, protect me from this. And God, spare me from that. And God, keep us from this. I mean, there were those supplications that had to be brought before God on a regular basis because we were dealing with a a tyrant who was ruling the world at that time. In America and most Western continents or people in the West, we don't have any clue what that's about. We really don't understand that. We have governments that, in a sense, respond to our, our, our needs and to the will of the people. And I understand that recently we're seeing some changes in that, and, and it's somewhat alarming, and we're concerned about that. I mean, obviously, as we've mentioned on Sunday mornings, we, we know God's in control, and things are moving right on His timetable. And so, as believers, we need not be so concerned except to say, do our part to continue to raise the banner high, live for the Lord Jesus Christ, and not compromise our faith based on the fact that others have departed from it. But the reality is is that even now, in this time and age in which we live, the truth is we do not comprehend, nor can we understand really, what goes on here with these people in the days of Timothy. Because our government still does adhere to the voice of the people to, to, in, in many ways and in, to, to, to a large degree. But in the environment in which they lived, persecution, oppression, abuse, discrimination was extremely common. It was normal. Um, and, and, you know, today there's still a number of our believers, still a number of brothers and sisters in Christ that live in worlds that, that are intolerant to Christianity. Uh, matter of fact, there are a number of those uh, people that live in fear of their life even. You figure communistic countries, and they still exist, whether we say the wall came down or not, there's communism reigning in our, our world today. Or whether it, it possibly could be the, 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 what do we call it, the Islamic fundamentalism that's reigning, it seems, in so many nations and countries. Listen, as a believer, you're facing some obstacles that they faced back then in Timothy's day, in the Apostle Paul's day. Nero was that kind of ruler. Now, <clears throat> under that type of pressure, under that kind of persecution, you can bet that Christians had a number of supplications, a number of petitions that had a personal need in view. And that's exactly what supplications has to do with. A a, a specific personal need in view. And so we see that here. Again, in the Old Testament, we have a good example of that with uh, Moses. Back there in the Old Testament, we see that in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says, the Lord Jesus, God speaking, saying, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, for I know their sorrows. The people of God for 400 years have been begging God, Oh God, get us out of here. Oh God, we've got a problem here. Oh God, meet the need. We're being treated like slaves and we're being treated horribly. Offering supplication after supplication after supplication. And then ultimately in God's time, He answers that prayer. 
That's a big one in our lives, isn't it? We'll talk a little bit about that later. But when God answers prayer, often when he answers, it's not really our timetable. It creates some problems for us, doesn't it? But in this particular case, it was a number of years later. But without little doubt, God answered that prayer. He heard their petitions, and he understood their need. And he did meet that need and ultimately delivered them out of Egypt. Supplications. Then he goes on to talk about prayers. He says prayers. Now, again, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have, a whole hand, I don't have this all figured out. I can honestly tell you that it's a little bit complicated for me. Um, supplications, and here's how I, in my mind, as I, I've tried to do the best I can to understand it, um, supplication is prayer. But prayer is not necessarily supplication. Now, now again, you can pray without petitioning God. That's what I guess I'm saying. Because, see, prayer is more of a, it, prayer's kind of more general than supplications, which is a specific... Um, petition concerning our needs. Now, one of the things that I found interesting in the Bible is I, I started going through this. I looked up, you know, supplication and I looked up um, prayer. And when you see prayer and supplication, it's usually prayer, supplication. Prayer and supplication. It, like from your side, prayer and supplication, left to right, right? So prayer and supplication. That's how it normally works. But in Timothy, first and second Timothy, that's the only place where you find supplication and prayer. Now, that's an interesting thought. Now, think about the condition we find them in. Paul's making an emphasis now. He's really addressing their issue with Nero and their government. And he's saying, making, he's saying now, listen, when you pray, he's saying you've you, you got supplications. Why? That would probably be the first thing on their mind because of the situation they found themselves in. I mean, forever under oppression, forever under persecution. So I've got to believe that it has to do with the, the, the need of that day and the emphasis of the apostle concerning his son in the faith and the need of the church there at that time. So they put supplications first, which is that prayer, that specific prayer for personal needs. And then he says prayer, which is really the more general term that incorporates and includes supplications. See, you can go to God and just... You know, I mean, prayer in and of itself, I mean, has to do with, I mean, every time you think of prayer, you think of a God that reigns on high, a, a God that's all powerful and capable and able to overcome all obstacles. I mean, you can go to God and you can even uh, imagine him there on the throne and you can, in his presence, thank him and praise him and go forward with all kinds of different means of prayer. But in reality, prayer is that general idea, that thought that here's God, capable, qualified, all powerful God. And and it's a more emphasis on our devotion than it is on a need. So we see prayer. And um, we see supplications and prayers now. And then he goes on to say intercessions. Now, of course, we kind of have a feel for intercession. We, we understand what that means a little bit. And, uh, and intercession, obviously, is to come into the presence of God on behalf of others. We understand that. But intercessory prayer... <clears throat> Is, is predicated on our relationship with the Lord, our intimate relationship with Christ. And what that does is that makes us familiar with Him. See, as a child of God, you have a familiarity with God. He lives in you, and you're able to go to Him on a regular basis, consistent basis. So there's a familiarity that is bred there. So as a result of that familiarity, you now can go on behalf of others to Him. You, it's kind of like we were talking about Nate and his dad. Well, uh, my children know me, and they know me how I think. They know what I'm about, and they can come to me and say, Dad, listen, i got a friend that's in real trouble. Do you think you could give him a hand? They know whether or not I'm probably going to do that or not, 
And they also understand that they have the kind of relationship that gives them the right to come to me that way. Because of their relationship with me, because of their familiarity with me, they have an opportunity to come to me in a way that no other could. You and I as children of God can go on behalf, go to God on behalf of others because of the familiarity that you have with God. The more close you are to Christ, the more intimate you are with Him, the more that you spend time in His presence, you will find that you have uh, just, that it just feels and you know that you're able to take others to God. And intercessory prayer. You have a confidence. And you have an authority there. And again, we have a classic example of this particular intercessory prayer as we look at Moses, as he deals with the children of Israel after they'd sinned so terribly against God. You remember when they worshiped the golden calf? And before it's over with, God wants to wipe them out and begin a whole new nation. I mean, he's fed up with them already. Now listen, God doesn't always have... He, he's long-suffering, but that's, that runs out, too, for God. And in this particular case, he is fed up. And fortunately for the, the children of Israel, you, you have Moses. He says, he goes on behalf of them in Exodus 32, 31 and 32, and he says, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, there's a big dash. And if not, Blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Now that's intercessor. Lord, if you won't forgive them, if you won't make right with them, then just blot me out. I'll, take the, I'll pay the price. Go ahead, just get rid of me. But Lord, I want you to take care of them. Treat them as you would treat me. Do this on behalf of me. Do this for my sake. Is that amazing, really, when you think about that? I mean, think about that for a minute, that we go before God and say, God, because of my relationship with you, because of my intimacy with you, because of my familiarity with you, I'm asking you to do this, even, if, even for me. Do this for me, Lord. Have you ever had your wife come to you and say, listen, I know you don't agree with that, but won't you just go to my mother's house for me? you do this for me? <laughs> Some of you guys are looking at me like, what? A bad mother-in-law joke already? No, but anyway. Somebody told me a joke about mother-in-laws this past week. Was it, was it Brother Terry or who was it was telling me the joke? Who was it telling me a joke? Was one you, Brother Terry? I got a lot of them, but I didn't tell you that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, that's what it was. It was Brother, I know who it was now. Uh, yeah, Brother Pat. And he was talking about how on his car there's a bump sticker that reads, if this car loses control, don't worry, my mother-in-law will be taking the wheel soon. Okay. He told me, and I didn't tell it. Okay. But anyway, I, I don't believe that about my mother-in-law. She's the best mother-in-law in the world. <laughs> All right. Oh, boy. Okay, moving on. This is getting bad. So intercessory. So it's the privilege of God's children to, to draw near to their Heavenly Father and to speak with Him about others. That's intercessory. And then there's giving of thanks. He talks about giving of thanks here. And again... Obviously, that's communicating the idea of expressing gratitude. We're expressing gratitude. Um, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of this. I, I, I'm, very, I'm convinced that more than not, we spend way too much time on us when we go to God in prayer. Now, again, I'm, I'm not saying that it's not right to do that. Obviously, there are supplications. 
we have specific needs and related to, to you know, safety issues and, and certain issues. But you know what? So many times we think about what God has done instead of what we want him to do. When, when we really, the, the biggest, tr- the biggest um, uh, need in the Christian life as a whole is to always be able to go back and look at what God has done. I mean, throughout the whole entire Old Testament, that's what it's all about. He's always like, go back, remember, 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 remember. Well, when you remember what God has done for you, you can't help but be grateful and thankful. And I'll tell you what, when hard times hit in your life, it's hard sometimes to see up. It's hard to see God at times until you go back and you look at the past and you begin to say, he says, remember, 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 remember. And then you go, you know what? If it all ends today, God's been good. I mean, that's, that's really where we end up when we really remember. And, and so, you know, that, that's an important truth. And the sad truth is, is that we're far more prone to go to God and ask for something than we are to go to Him and just simply thank Him, praise Him. Um, so if we were to summarize these types of prayer, I'm going to borrow from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry said it this way. He said, supplications are for the averting of evil. Now think about that in relationship to where we're at in this particular passage. The subverting of evil. You have Nero on the throne, you have these Christians that are being persecuted, and they're bringing specific petitions before God. So he says supplications are for the averting of evil, prayers are for the obtaining of good, intercessions for others, and thanksgiving for mercies already received. I think that's pretty good. So he, he sums those, those four thoughts up, those four different types of prayer. Supplications are for the averting of evil, prayers for the obtaining of good, intercessions for others, and thanksgiving for mercies already received. That's pretty good stuff. Well, then all of a sudden we get into the point, he says, okay, he shares these with the, the Timothy. He says, all right, these are the types of prayer, okay? Right there they are. He shares them right there in verse 1. And then he, at the end of verse 1, he begins to talk about the different, you know, those that are to be prayed for now. Not just the types of prayers to pray, but those that are to be prayed for, or those that are to be prayed for. And first of all, he says people in general. In verse 1, we notice that he says, uh, you know, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So what he's saying is, people in general. You're to be praying for all men. You're to be praying for people in general. And again, um, you know, that's not always easy, is it? To pray for all men. To pray for all people. That's hard. Um, There's not one person on this crowded planet in which we live that God is not concerned about. There's not one of them. You know, when you really think about this, and you you really let your mind wander, there's not one not one person that God looks at and says they're not important to me. For instance, the Apostle Paul was no more valuable to God than Nero was. I want you to think about that for a minute. Nero here is persecuting Christians, but what did Paul do before he got saved? I wonder who prayed for Paul when he was killing Christians. I wonder. All I'm saying is in the passage, we find that in this particular case, and, and we'll, we'll touch on that maybe a little later, probably next week, but we see here that, that God is concerned about everybody. He has a personal interest in every person. Isn't that something? 
Every one of these young people in here, every one of these children, every one of the adults, every one of us, God has a personal interest in you. And that's why God says that we're to pray. See, see, John, God says it's important that you pray for not just yourself, not just your own, not just your family, not just your finances, not just your life. No, he says it's important that you understand that God's concerned about more than just you. He's concerned about these, about other people, about all men. And not just the ones that act and, and, and live the way we do, not just the ones that believe the way we do. As a matter of fact, probably others need our prayers even more. I mean, I think about just, and again, I, again, I know, I understand. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I, I'm one of those guys that still believes America should be great. And I think America should be the greatest country in the world. And if, if somebody says it's no longer the greatest country in the world, then let's get back to it. And let's be able to walk into another nation and say we are the best. I still want to be that. Amen. But let me tell you this. There's not, there's not one Muslim terrorist that doesn't need the prayers of a Bible-believing Christian. Not one of them. I don't care how wicked we may see them. I don't care how heinous or how, how insensitive they are to people and life. The fact is, is that somebody needs to be praying for, for them because otherwise, who will? And how are they going to get saved? What about, again, what about that apostle? If nobody had prayed for him, where would we be today? You say, well, God would have raised somebody else up. That's fine, but he raised the apostle Paul up. I don't know who was praying for him 100%. But what I do know is somebody must have been. And he ended up getting saved, trusting Christ, and ultimately honoring Christ through his entire life. And that's what the goal of every salvation is, to ultimately bring glory to God. So we see that. So look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others, Philippians 2.4 says. So who are we to pray for, Paul? We, we understand that there, are, uh, that there are supplications and prayers and intercession and... Um, giving of thanks. But who, who are we to lift these prayers up to, to and, why, and, and who are we to do that for? Well, people in general, but then also people in government. In verse 2, he begins uh, to say, for kings, for kings. Well, wait a second. In 44 BC, Julius Caesar was assassinated. 44 BC. 44 years before, we'll say Christ, before Christ, BC. Julius Caesar was assassinated. After defeating Antony at uh, Actium in 31 B.C., Octavian became the first Roman emperor in 27 B.C. So now we have Julius Caesar. We've got, we've got Octavian now. And here's Octavian, uh, 27 B.C. The problem is, is that political rot set in real quick. Okay, here these men were. This nation is growing. It's turning to be, it's going to be a great nation. It's obvious. They expected 200 years of peace from that moment on, 27 B.C. Of course, we know that didn't happen. And peace is never something that has continued until the Prince of Peace finally arrives. But the fact is, is that is here's Octavian now. And then this rot sets in. And then before it's over with, you have Tiberius and Caligula and Claudius and Nero who succeeded Octavian. So now we're to Nero now. We have all these Roman rulers, all this corruption, all this sin, all of this evil that's taking place now. And this, it all, it, it's seated here at the Roman Empire. And here's Paul the Apostle now. He's saying, okay, we've got this Nero guy. And Nero has persecuted Christians mercilessly. Nero has made it a personal vendetta to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. And he has made your life miserable my life miserable, and everybody's life miserable that names the name of Christ, make sure you pray for them. Isn't that amazing? And we have a hard time praying for our president. 
We have a hard time praying for our representatives. We have a hard time praying for men and women that are in leadership roles in our government. And yet here in this particular case, this guy's literally killing family members, friends, and others in their lives. Literally making an impact daily in their life and how they live. And he's saying, you've got to pray for this emperor. You've got to pray for Nero. It would be Nero ultimately probably that Paul the Apostle stood before. Even he himself probably was there before Nero. And Nero asked him questions and sneered at him with his, you know, self-indulgent, indignant attitude in life. And says, oh, ye Christians. You know, the Apostle Paul ultimately loses his life over it. But pray for him. Pray for him. Pray for him. Lord, we're to pray for people in government. Those that are in supreme authority. Whether we agree or like the decisions that they make on our behalf. The fact is, is that we're to pray for those that make decisions. It's just the Bible way. It's God's way. Your complaints, your criticisms, my complaints, my criticisms, need to be taken where? To God in prayer. It's where they belong. See, the truth is, we waste a lot of time, don't we? Talking to each other about stuff we can't fix. I have this little saying that I have. Don't, don't, don't share your problems with people who are not part of the solution. Don't even share your problems with people that are not part of the solution. You waste your time. And a lot of times that happens in a, around the a kind of a, you know, well, I've really got a problem with uh, that Sunday school director. You got a problem with him? I don't like his standards. I don't like the fact that we have to, is, if you're going to be a Sunday school teacher, you have to go soul winning. I don't like that you have to, if you're, you're a lady, you have to wear a dress below the knees if you're going to be a Sunday school teacher. I don't like the idea that, that as a man you have to wear a tie if you're going to teach Sunday school in the Sunday school class, that you have to wear a tie when you're teaching. I don't like those ministry attire. I don't like that ministry time. You know, if you're, while you're ministering, you have to maintain a certain level of, of, of leadership and invisible uh, leadership. I don't like that. What do you think? Do you like that? Why'd you share your problem with him? He can't fix it. He is, that's gossip now. Yeah, that's just trying to run down your leadership. You don't agree with something, go to the leader and talk to him about it. He, he can change it. He can fix it. Why are you wasting your time with him? I, I, don't, I can't believe we're going to be taking that stupid boat ride again tomorrow. <laughs> Costs $8. Are you kidding me? $8 to float around on a stupid little boat? <laughs> that's dumb, isn't it? I don't like that. I think it should be $6. <laughs> it's all, that, that Glenn, he thinks the boat ride's the best thing ever. I mean, he's only got 46 people signed up. They must think it too, but I don't. What do you think? Do you, you understand where I'm going with this? What good did it do to, to talk about that and to be critical and cynical and negative? What, what good? He can't fix that problem. I'd go to Glenn and say, listen, brother, can we do a different activity? I've got some suggestions and ideas. Look them over. If you think any of them have any merit, I'll even give you a hand putting them together. That might be a good idea. But, but that's what happens sometimes. And even with our government, we're good to complain about things, but what steps do we take to make a difference? When's the last time you got upset with a congressman or a senator and you actually sent them a note or you emailed them or you did something and actually approached them instead of just talking about them behind their back? Really, let, what, really, seriously. We take that and we go, well, government's different. Well, they're a whipping post. We can rip them apart. What, they're people. God has principles in the Bible. Let's go to God. Let's take them to the Lord. Let's deal with it. People in government. Then just people in authority in general. People in authority in general. Verse 2. It says, for kings 
and for all that are in authority. All that are in authority. I tell you what, as a believer, we have that's a tall order to live up to, folks. You know, we, we're good at we're good at well, I use a King James Bible and liberals using those other versions. And we're good about pulling out our Bible and you know, thumping along, Bible, King James Bible. And we're saved by the grace through faith, amen. We've got all these basic fundamentals we stick with, man. We fire it up. We 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 think we're <clears throat> You know? But wait a second. What when it comes to real Christianity? I'm talking about where we play, the playing field, where we really live. See, that's where it gets tougher now. Now, all of a sudden, the ones who look the best sometimes on stage really don't do a very good job on the field of play. We dress nice, we look nice, we act nice, but really down deep, we are full of dead men's bones. We are serpents. We've got to be careful that we're for real. And Paul the Apostle is dealing with Timothy now. And he's saying, okay, I know what you're up against. And we are very aware of it. We understand that there are those that are sowing seeds of heresy. We know that there are those that are apostate in your crowd. We know that you've had to excommunicate certain ones. And we realize that you've had to deal with some of these misconceptions and misunderstandings. And now it's not time to talk anymore. There's no place for compromise here. The truth is the truth. And you're going to have to stand and fight the battle. But listen, now that you know where you stand, Let's get to the nitty-gritty. As a child of God, you better be prepared to pray. And then, who are you going to pray for? Let me tell you who you need to pray for. You need to pray for your enemies. That's exactly what he's telling them. You need to be prepared. Listen, Timothy, those stinking people in that church are going to rip your heart out. They're going to stab you in the back. They're going to try to get you out of that ministry. They don't like necessarily some of the things you've said or stated. Some of them are pretty high up in the hierarchy of the church. And the fact is some young guy comes in and now says, I'm taking over. The Apostle Paul and others have laid their hands on me. God's placed me here as the pastor of Ephesus. And guess what? You guys get to follow me now. And some of them aren't going to be real happy with that. And they're going to try to run you right out of town. Let me tell you something. Something. When they try to run you out of town the most, when they try to stab you in the back the most, when they talk about you, and when they say that you're not qualified or capable to run the church, you pray for them. Amen. You love them. Wow. And when your government officials, Nero, sends out another decree to kill all pastors and to take over the ministries and to wreck and ruin the churches, you pray for him. And when the local government steps up, whether it be the soldiers that are walking their normal beats throughout the city, or whether it be some uh, potentate of some Roman sphere, you just go ahead and you submit to their authority and you pray for them. That's real Christianity. See, that's Christianity. And that's what the Apostle Paul is teaching this young protege in the faith. So Paul shares four different types of prayer. And he exhorts all believers to pray for people in general, for people in the government, and just people in authority. When's the last time you prayed for that boss you can't stand? That's somebody in authority. You don't have to be in the military to have somebody over you. Hey, ladies, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you prayed for that husband you despise? Yeah, I ain't going to let him tell me what to do. He's an idiot. He's a jerk. Oh, you wouldn't say that in church, but you'd say that to your friends on Facebook. Or you'd say that to somebody in private. You don't know how... He, he acts like I don't have a mind, like I'm stupid or something. 
When's the last time you prayed for him? He's still your biblical authority. I'm not saying he's right. I'm just saying he's still your biblical authority. And let me tell you something. If you're not praying for him, you're not a good Christian either. Quit trying to pretend you are. See, this is what the Bible's talking about. This is what he's trying to tell Timothy now. Let's get it together. Let's start where it starts. It starts with prayer. It starts with prayer for all people and those that are in authority. Whether they're treating us good or whether they're treating us bad. Whether you're on the mountain or whether you're in the valley. We're praying for people because we, we understand this pleases God because that's ultimately where it ends up. It pleases God. It honors Christ. It enables us now, if we pray for those leaders, and I'm going to end this real fast and I'm going to cut it out a lot of it, but the fact is, is that it ultimately ends in, in, with, with this thought of verse 3 where he says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. See, you pray for these, for, for, for all men, for kings and for all those that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. See, the fact is, is that you say, I can't pray for somebody that's like that. I couldn't pray to, for our president because he makes such horrible decisions and he's given a free loot reign to, to, to the homosexual crowd and he has nothing to do with God. He's not acting very godly at all. Why would I want him to prosper? No, it has nothing to do with him prospering. It has everything to do with you prospering. And you read what it says here. He says, you pray for these people. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. And honesty. See, when, when we're praying for those in authority, God says, I'll hear your prayers and I'll eventually affect your, your culture, your nation even. I'll affect your situation and give you the ability to live out the Christian life as I have deemed it. It's in your best interest to pray for that, that husband that is off kilter or that wife that's out of control or for those teenagers that are out in the world or for, for, for the government or for others in charge of you or in leadership of you and just men in general, women in general. It helps you. It's good for you. And in the end, ultimately, when it's all said and done, he says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So when it's all said and done, he's saying, it honors God. It pleases God when you pray for these people. That's what he's saying when it's all said and done. And what's the real goal of the Christian life? The real goal of the Christian life is what? To bring glory and honor to God. To please Him with our life. It's not about us. It's about Him. And he says, this will honor me. This will please me. Boy, isn't that good? Because that's what it's all about. Honoring Christ. Glorifying the Lord. So you can't honor God and you can't please God unless you're praying for all men. Unless you're praying for the King. Unless you're praying for those in authority. You can't do it, nor can I. And that's the lie Satan wants to tell us. Is that you can do some things for God. You don't have to do all things. Do what you are comfortable doing. The rest of it, now everybody has their thing. This pleases God when you pray for him, for those in authority. So let's get praying the way we're supposed to pray. Let's not take it lightly. Let's take it seriously. Let's do our part to make a difference and an impact in our culture. Not by doing necessarily, but by praying and being. Father, we come to you.